Hello everyone, and welcome to the second episode. Last episode was a retelling of her mom's death from the day before she died, the day of her death, and her funeral. In today's episode, John and I will be talking about her mother's alleged alcoholism, leading to her suicide, and how her life story and death has sparked advocacy of mental health and suicide awareness in our family, and how the change mirrors today's shift in society towards mental health awareness. So let's begin with recalling how and when we found out about the cause of my mother's death. The police had called us one afternoon and asked if we could come down to the police station because they finally figured out the cause of our mother's death. It was my sister, Nali, and myself and our father who went to the police station, and we were told that it was an acute alcohol poisoning. And then they went into the detail about how when they had found our mother, she was already dead since 5.30ish, 5am, so she was dead for at least an hour and they had estimated that her BAC was way higher than what they found her to be at, which was 0.4. They said that it should have been around 0.6 or higher even, just due to the nature of the fact that she was drinking heavily, so hard liquor, maybe possibly moonshine, something that's hard liquor and a high alcohol content, and she's been drinking probably around since 12 a.m. to 5 a.m., so good five hours of heavy drinking and from that moment on they apologized for taking so long since they were in between it being an accidental death or suicide just due to the nature of our mother being happy and telling us to keep those photos for when she's gone and giving me her monk clothes and the fact that they had found in her medical records that she was clinically depressed and she was being treated with antidepressants which those are typically signs of someone who is about to commit suicide which, if you guys don't know, it's usually extreme out-of-character happiness, speaking of their death, or giving away items to their loved ones. That's what my mom basically did the night before. And the only reason why they ruled it as an accident was because the note had proof that she intended to wake up the next day, so they ruled it as an accidental. I remember asking them if it was possible if those noises that I heard at 1am, which were groaning and mumbling in the living room, was my mother being drunk and they said that it was very possible and most likely. It killed me inside because I know that those noises were what kept me up at night at night and I was petrified because I thought that it was a monster or something that I, only I was hearing and I was just being you know crazy or sleep deprived so I got scared but in reality it was my mother who really needed help as she was drinking her life away. I remember crying when they told me that it was more than likely that those noises were were from her because of the guilt I felt, and it took a long time, I'm talking years, for me to finally forgive myself, and now that I've forgiven myself for it, it's just, every time that I think about it, it still brings back haunting memories of the noises that I heard and the feeling that I felt with being frightened out of my mind and unable to sleep and just knowing that my mother was dying upstairs that I truly still have a hard time getting over but it doesn't affect me as much as it did back then six years ago so then the three of us went back home and we told everyone so everyone was obviously shocked I mean how did you feel John when you found out about mom's death yeah to be honest I didn't I don't really like remember that Mm -hmm. um I think I remember you guys saying that it was acute alcohol poisoning or whatever. But, like, I don't know. I guess I was just, like, so 
like in shock i guess mm-hmm. that it just like flew past my brain you know yeah i mean especially when they even suggested the fact that mom had alcoholism i mean we both knew that at least from what we've seen is that mom never really drank and the only time she did drink was at you know parties and gatherings where it was the right time to drink you know mm-hmm. it wasn't like a inappropriate time to drink and she wasn't like getting wasted over there at all yeah she was you know the definitely the designated driver kind of thing so for them to say you know to make it seem like it was a repeated offense and that she kept doing it like i guess that kind of made me angry and disappointed yeah, that, that actually like makes me mad because that's not how i saw my mom yeah and for yeah. them to like paint her as a as a person that she's not yeah actually that fuels me with hate pretty much yeah and i mean you know i think they kind of just told us that to give us some sort of you know closure and say Mm -hmm. okay your mom was just an alcoholic like she just drank too much this time but you know obviously we will never know we will never know if she actually was drinking behind our back you Mm -hmm. know we will never know that right so because she could have easily been doing that when she was driving home or, you know, we, we just don't know how that affects alcohol, how alcohol affects her and how she acts, you know, when she's drunk, when she's buzzed. Like, we, we never really knew any of that, right, from her right. perspective. And that's what makes it hard for closure as well is because because we don't know if she really did have alcoholism, it's hard for us to say, yes, she had alcoholism, that that was who she was. All we know is that she drank too much, had alcohol poisoning, and died from it. You know, mm-hmm. and that also brings up the topic of why was she drinking? I mean, the day before it seemed very pleasant and very, you know, calming and loving and like full of happiness. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like it was every day where it was constant fighting between her and I or just, you know, feeling exhausted, like with the baby and with the kids and like her dad not doing anything and like just kind of just her daily life it was a good day before her death so it was hard to justify that you know mm-hmm. then when they brought up about her antidepressants i mean we kind of figured i mean at least i did i kind of figured that she said she had some sort of depression but i didn't know that she was being medicated and being prescribed medication for it so that was a shock to us too and you know I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I guess that really honestly blew past my head. And I didn't really think about it until a year later Yeah. Um, when I really looked back onto her life. And that's what this episode is about, is just recalling her life and what might have caused her death. Obviously, it's all speculation from what we've seen from, you know, an insider person looking in. But at the same time, our mother's not here, so we can't really ask for the answers. Well, back to the, the antidepressant thing, like, for me, at least at the time, I was never, like, a sad kid. I was always, like, um, happy. So really, like, I didn't really, I was oblivious to the fact that there were, like, antidepressants and, like, you know, people that were actually, like, sad. Yep. Yeah, because, I mean, we, for me, it was way different because I knew since then I was depressed and i knew that i needed help and one thing that i do remember i was in my sophomore year of high school and i was struggling with my mental health at that time and keep in mind like i knew for the longest time that i was clinically depressed i just knew that my parents would never 
be okay with me being, you know, seeing a therapist, seeing a psychiatrist, like just getting help because that was very taboo in our culture. And we'll talk more about that later. But for this particular story, like I remember saying that, you know, I was suicidal and like talking to my friends about it. I was like, I don't want to live anymore. Like, I can't do this. Like, this is so frustrating. And like, I just feel so lost and whatnot. And then they were concerned. And at that time, I was really pissed off at them for even snitching on me. But, at you know, I was, to this day, I think I'm grateful for what they did because back then I didn't want to live. And so the guidance counselor called my parents and my parents came to pick us up. And in the car, it was very silent. But then my mom was like, you know, she went off on me and she was like, why would you ever take away your life? Like, you know, you don't have any idea how much we've done for you. Like, why would you think that that's okay? And it was just very much, it was just, it felt like she was taking it out on me. And at least that's what it felt like now that I've learned that she was also struggling with depression is that during that time, I felt like she took everything out on me where she felt like she had no other way out. And so she also felt the same way. She felt trapped. And, you know, she, all those thoughts that she was saying to me might've been, you know, thoughts that she was telling herself, you know, with how not being grateful for the fact that she has, you know, kids and she has a husband and like all that stuff, or even just being grateful that she's still here. I think that really just played an effect on her is just, you know, how she views herself and her depression. And I guess it was also like being her being scared for me because she had those very same thoughts. And I really just wish that at that time, like it wasn't, I wish that it wasn't such a taboo thing. And it still is in our culture about suicide, mental health and depression. Like that's very taboo. Like no one talks about it. Everyone says, oh, you don't have it. You know, everyone says that you don't need to go to the doctors. You are fine. You know, you need to grow up and it's tough luck out there kind of thing. Like very mm-hmm. just tough love. And I'm sure you've experienced that too. Yeah. Um, with, you know, dad's kind of motto is like never show emotions yep. kind of thing. And so, like, that's why I kept it bottled inside. And when I couldn't keep it in anymore, I would always lash out at mom. And that's why we kept having those fights every single day. And, like, just two depressed people who didn't know how to get help, um, who felt trapped fighting at each other, you know. And, like, it just reminded me a few weeks prior to her death, I was telling my best friend, Juliana, that I was, like, I wish my mom would die. Like I called her nasty names and I was like, she's such a fucking bitch. And like all these things. And I was like, I hate her. Like, I hate the fact that I have to take care of my siblings and I'm the mom and stuff. I'm like, I shouldn't be a mom at 15. Like, that's not what I signed up for. I'm like, I don't deserve this. And I was like, I deserve something better. I was like, can anyone see that I'm struggling? Like all those things and all those thoughts and just hating mom for it. And I truly, I regret saying that I wish she died. But at the same time, the pure hatred and frustration of what I was going through that I don't take back because that was a big part of my childhood was being the mother figure, you know, to all you guys. So that I can't take back because it's all true. But I definitely Mm -hmm. do wish that I never had said I wish she would die, you know. Yeah. Okay, so the next topic is going to be about our mother's arranged marriage prior to her father's marriage. She had a previous marriage, which was a very abusive marriage. I remember her telling us about it, about 
how he would hit her all the time and he would make her feel scared and that you know it was an arranged marriage so their parent like her mother especially was the one who arranged it and she was never loved she was always feared or afraid um she was always afraid and and eventually he abandoned her so in all culture when a husband no longer wants you they can either remarry and you have to be okay with the remarriage and be okay with having him having other wives um, that all live with you and whatnot. Or what they'll do is they'll basically send you back to your parents, which at that point you'll be considered as disowned because you're a disgrace. And so she was sent back to her parents. And at that point, I'm pretty sure her relationship with her mother just kind of went downhill because, you know, her mother saw her as a failed wife and you know, a useless daughter and like all those things. And, and that's when our dad met um, our mom. We actually never really got to hear about the story, how they met, to be honest. We think that it might've been just our dad knowing relatives and the relatives had talked, you know, about how our mom was pre like just recently like disowned by her, you know, ex-husband and all that stuff. And I think that's when my dad found her and like at that time um a mother was in massachusetts she graduated in high school in massachusetts i don't know the name or the high school but then her father went to stevens point um in wisconsin so he went to stash so i think that definitely did not help and it was really rough for our parents' marriage i mean i'm gonna let john speak on that especially with you know our dad recently getting out of divorce as well because I think that's where the relative was talking. It was like, oh, you know, you're recently divorced. And so is this relative of mine that's recently divorced. Why don't you two see each other, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, they eventually did. And my dad brought her to Wisconsin and married her. And, yeah, I'm going to let Don talk about how that was. When dad married mom and brought her to his home, she was neglected and isolated. And for the viewers, keep in mind that my father was coming off a previous marriage where he had five children and four of them lived with him. So yeah, she, she was thrown into this new situation. It was weird for everyone because she didn't have time to build a bond with our half-siblings. My father pretty much just said, here you go, kids, this is your new mom. And when we were born, we also felt that neglect and isolation. And overall, it was just like a difficult situation for everybody involved. One incident of us half siblings not getting along was Michelle's infamous sticker situation. Um, Michelle, go ahead and explain that one. The sticker story that John was referring to was when I was five years old. My sister, oldest half sister, she was working for either like a summer school or that pre-K kind of situation. And she had these stickers for her students. And I, she bought me some stickers too. So I thought that these stickers were, you know, I didn't know that those were her stickers for her students and stuff. And I went into her room and I took some out and I started stickering them all over the place. And like basically being a kid and I didn't know any better at that time. And when she came home and she found that and she found all, her, all of the stickers used, she went off and you know, she was yelling at me and she was yelling at, you know, our dad and our mom and saying like, 
why can't you watch your kid? And like, just like, oh, I hate this family. Like, I hate everything about this. And like, that basically just saying like hateful words and out of anger. So after my sister had her outburst, that's when our mother gave my father an ultimatum, which was. It was pretty much saying that you need to pretty much kick them out because they were old enough and you got to watch out for the little ones, meaning me and you mm-hmm. at the time, because we were still like we're toddlers. Five and four. Yeah. Right. And so he did, right? Yep. He did. He kicked out, you know, his mom, which is our grandma, and then the three oldest. And then I think Molly moved back with her mom. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really blame them. Yeah. Because like it's it's it is a change of pace. Like it's yeah. you're used to one thing and then all of a sudden everything just changes, right? Yeah. They resented us because, you know, to them half siblings means, Oh yeah, the father really like your father really doesn't care anymore. He's moved on completely. Yep. And at that point he was absent in their lives as well because he was trying to focus on my mother. And they didn't take that that well because, I mean, they had just lost everything they've ever known about their two parents and the, the perfect home, the perfect family, like that kind of thing. Like having two parents who love each other, two parents that they could call mom and dad. And then all of a sudden now, you know, that's no longer a thing. And they have to call mom and dad separately. They live separately. And like, it was just hard for them. I mean, we got to experience that later yeah. on with our new stepmom a couple of years ago but I mean and he did the same thing he didn't tell us that we're moving on and that he was moving on and like side story I found out that he had moved on three months after my mom's death it was in February and the way I found out was at that time I had to use his car the Highlander that he had just bought my mom before she had died the new Highlander because my Highlander the old one my mom's car had broken down and I needed to go to work and so how I found out was on his Bluetooth it was connected to his phone and all of a sudden I just see notification pop up and whatnot it was like old notifications or whatever but like it just glitched and randomly popped up again because for that to work you would need the Bluetooth phone the phone to be in the car with you and the phone wasn't but I found out because there are messages loading on, you know, his touchscreen on the dashboard that were to a different woman. And it was just like messages of, you know, standard dating messages and stuff. And it was just like, oh, he's moving on that fast. Like it's been three months, you know. So to say that we are not surprised why our half siblings would react the way that they did with our mom is just you know an understatement because he did that again to us you know with our step our new stepmom a couple years ago so after our father kicked out our half siblings everything seemed somewhat normal that was one of the things that had caused her to be you know depressed was just how my father had handled the very early years of their marriage the first couple of years seemed to go by a lot better. So after that, an incident happened, which made our mother's depression wor- worse, which was her father's death. And I'm going to have John tell that story because he remembers it vividly. And it was something that we that 
the three of us all experienced together. So her father, she, uh, he was blind and disabled. And then um, her mother, m mom's mother, pretty much um, left him for another person and went to Thailand. And then she would always call mom and like harass her and then like ask for money and stuff. Yeah. She would like, I remember, I would always remember her mom yelling at mom and like calling, yeah. you know, mom like a failure and all these nasty names, saying how she can't do anything right and she can't be a mother and all that stuff. And then would say, you better send me money. And because, you know, she was promised by this guy that this guy would give her a better life in Thailand than what her disabled husband would ever give her in America. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at this point, he lived in San Francisco. Yep. So. Yeah, so when, when uh, her father died, me and Michelle were just coming home from school and... We walk in the door and we just see mom on the phone and she's just sitting like by the, the kitchen looking out the window and she's just sitting on her knees crying. And that like me being as young as I was, yeah. I didn't really know what to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because we were less than 10 years old. Yeah. We were probably. We were seven, still in elementary eight. school. Yeah. Seven, eight. Kind of thing. I remember us just going up to her and just like hugging her and stuff. Yeah. But it's like, at that age, you don't really know what to do. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, I'll always remember her saying, like, you know, her saying that her dad had just died and that she feels very sad. Yeah. And that she feels really hurt and that her heart hurts. And, you know, I remember saying, like, something along the lines of how can we make it better? And she didn't give us an answer. Mm -hmm. And I think at that age, you know, you get a little bit disappointed, you get a little bit hurt because, you know, there's nothing that you can do to make your mom feel better. And you see your mom crying and you feel like it's your fault because you can't make them happy. Right. But you don't necessarily know all of that. You don't know what grief mm -hmm. is. You don't know what death is. You, you don't know what any of that is other than the fact that you feel hurt because you feel like you feel powerless yeah you, feel you can't powerless, do anything you can't do anything but you also feel like your mom doesn't want any help from you right even though you're just a little kid so with all of that leading up to her death she so she had dealt with a lot of depression and after her dad's death that's when she was prescribed antidepressants because her depression just got really bad and then i remember days when we were still in elementary school and we would come home and she was crying and she would tell us how mean our father was and how he didn't do anything how he didn't love her how he didn't love us and you know she kept telling us that and at that time I didn't really know what to believe because I mean our father was just our father he was there to financially support us sure he wasn't there to be there emotionally or to be a father and raise us but like he was there you know I guess physically there and so I didn't really understand what she meant by that. And for the longest time, I resented her for that because I was like, why are you trying to pit me against my father? Like all those things. But we've come to realize that she was right. And, and that's not that's not to like paint dad as a, a bad person. It's just yeah, like he's not the perfect father because, I mean, he's far from it. Yeah, but he's definitely I mean, at least he, he was there. 
for us. So yeah, like John said, like our dad is far from perfect. I mean, for example, which this also leads to understanding your mom's death and why she may have alcoholism, why she was depressed, was that when Jen was born, our father, first of all, didn't want her to begin with. When he found out that mom was pregnant, he did not want another child. And he was distant from her, didn't care for her needs at all. You know, she would go to work and she would feel tired, she exhausted, and she still had to cook and clean. She still had to do all those things. And because the Hmong culture is very traditional, so there's gender roles. And I think that for him, he just didn't care because that means that he would have to work harder and he was already working too hard to feed four children. And so when mom was pregnant with Jen, her depression was worsened because she didn't have the support that she needed from her husband. She didn't have any support from her family because she didn't have a family anymore. And all her family members are Massachusetts and she's in Wisconsin. And so when Jen was born, our father, when my mom, when my mom went to labor, our father literally did not want to wake up and take her mom to the hospital because he said that he had to work at five in the morning and he was not going to, you know, lose sleep over it. So he told my mom to drive herself to the hospital and she did. And she gave birth alone and our dad didn't show up until he had to sign the papers for it, which that's when the doctors called him saying, Hey, you need to come here and sign these papers because this is your child. And from then on, he never held her. You know, he never really fed her ever. Mom was doing all of that. And I was helping with, with that as well. So from our father's perspective, he loved to go to like national parks and like go fishing and stuff. And he would always go like every year to like Mount Rainier or like um, Mount Rushmore with mom. Yeah. yeah. And it, I guess from, I don't want to speak on his perspective, but it was probably felt like he was getting stripped of his freedom from mom having Jen and then mom just felt guilty because her having the kid is like stripping him of his happiness yeah and you know I think that does take a toll on everyone anyone in that Mm -hmm. situation is that you know you feel like you're responsible for the lack of happiness for your partner purely just because you decided to have his child Right. And keep in mind, it's like it takes two to make a children, like mm-hmm. a child. It takes two to make a child. So both are at fault. And, you know, that's why he was distant. That's why he never cared for her because he didn't want her. And that worsened my mom's postpartum depression, which, if you guys didn't know what that is, it's basically where the mother, after the baby is born, the mother feels you know, a very severe, sometimes severe, depends on each person um, and how they experience it, but it, they just either miss the feeling of being pregnant again, or they miss that connection between the baby while the baby is in the womb, and that motherly connection, and, you know, that it's not there, and, you know, there's cases where the mother harms the baby because of the postpartum depression, or there's cases where the mother kills, you know, herself because of her postpartum, and all those things and that was the case with our mother which was her postpartum depression got so bad that she probably did start drinking i mean if i were her i would i would be drinking too because i didn't have a supportive you know husband i had five kids now that i have to take care of 
and I still had to wake up every day, go to work and do chores and, you know, raise the kids and all that stuff. Like, you know, I think that definitely had taken a toll on her. And so with all of that in mind, you know, from her previous marriage, the domestic abuse, the death of her father, the harassment from her mother, you know, the mistreatment from my father and her postpartum depression, it was very clear to see that what she did that night, November 7th, 2017, was in fact suicide, you know, because whenever you're drinking, you make a conscious decision to drink mm-hmm. and you make a con- conscious decision to stop drinking. But for her, she didn't want to stop drinking until she died. And at least that's what I will always believe in because I, whenever I think of her death as an accident, it disregards all the mistreatment that she's ever faced in her life. And I don't want her to be seen like that. I don't want her mistreatment to feel like it's been swept under the rug and that no one will ever talk about it. No one will own up to responsibility because it took me years to finally own up to my responsibilities of with fighting with her every single day and calling her nasty names and all these things. Like it took years for me to accept my own responsibility in how I played a part of her death. So I think that by calling it what it is, which is a suicide, it is able to place the responsibility, not blame, but responsibility onto the people who had a role in how she was mistreated, you know, and that's just how I feel. And I don't know if that's how you feel about it, whether or not you think it's still an accident or, I mean, how do you feel about it? Honestly, I don't really know what to do. I don't know. Like every, I always had like these conversations with like my, my friends and like, they would say how people that commit suicide are weak and uh, it's cowardly and stuff. And to be honest, they, they didn't really know the story of my mom. Yeah. And every time they said that, it was like, well, you're not wrong. But it's just like, it, sometimes that's the only way out for people. And they just want it all to end, right? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that. Well, it's not the only way, but. Well, like, no, I wouldn't say that. They are weak. I mean, yeah, I it takes say a strong weak. Right. person right, exactly. that's, to make that choice. Th- yeah, that's that's how I feel. It's like, yeah, it sucks because everybody around you like, is left to deal with the, the impact of your yeah. choice. Yeah. I think that's, that's why it, it that's, pisses me off the most. Yeah, that's why the survivors of suicide, not necessarily people who tried attempting um you know, committing suicide, but, like, the survivors who, of the person who committed suicide, they so feel guilt. hatred, and they feel mm-hmm. like, oh, you're such a coward, why would you leave us to, de- to deal with this, and, yeah. but it's, like, at that point, that's just a selfish mindset at the same time, because I can understand their, their anger and hatred, because we felt that the whole yeah. entire thing, and that's, you know, we'll talk about that in future episodes, but, you know, at the same time, it's just, when you think that way, you disregard everything that they've that that person has ever been through and why right. they came to that conclusion. You know, um, like you said, like sometimes, and and this is not always the right answer. Coming from a person who has attempted suicide, who has 
thought about suicide her whole entire life and who is diagnosed with major depression and anxiety like someone who's been through that you know it's never a way out right never but i can always understand why that person would feel that way mm-hmm. because some days life is fucking hard some days life feels like it's not worth living some days you feel like you can't move on you can't go on and you make that choice and you'll hear all the time where survivors of suicide regret it instantly and they'll you know they'll tell you that it's when they jump off the bridge yeah that in that moment they regret it instantly it's when you know they survive and they're like holy shit like you know they you you see it all the time where you know they live their life more carefully and you know with happier you know outlook is that they were literally close to death so close and some even have died and came back alive you know kind of thing and they also said that you know the exact same thing is that they regret doing it and you know with mom's suicide i think she would regret the pain that she left us in yeah. you know her her children but at the same time i think for her i would always like to picture her as she's happier in heaven yeah. and i know in christianity people who commit suicide they don't go to heaven but in my eyes i believe that she's happier in heaven with her father you know so i guess that gives me comfort and it's not me saying suicide is okay but it's me saying that her suffering has legitimately come to an end of her death and she no longer has to suffer therefore i hope that she's happier therefore i hope that she's living a happier healthier life if there is such things a next life then that she's you know well loved if she is remarried again in her next life if she if she has children i hope her children love her more than we've ever did you know all those positive thoughts and hopes and wishes i you know i really just hope that in a morbid way her death was worth it to her yeah you know because i can't imagine feeling like because i don't know what to imagine if she comes back to us and she says i regret killing myself i think that would destroy us you know because we would be angry again saying well then why did you do it but then at the same time now that we've grown up and we've understood her story and we've you know taken the time to piece together why someone would do this it's pretty clear you know and of course we never really of course we can never truly fully understand how she felt or what she went through but from an outsider in that sense it's pretty clear to see that she was suffering you know and that someone who suffered that much would most likely do what they did and what she did which was commit suicide so i i feel like in today's society everybody's just like it's frowned upon it's something that you don't really think about and I, I feel I, it's like it it brings me so much anger when people joke like oh i'm gonna kill myself or like yeah all that because i've been through that yeah and it it's something that it's not it's not funny to me yeah you know yeah and you know i've for me i've been guilty of doing that i've been guilty of saying 
oh, I'm going to kill myself. I mean, yeah, I have too in, like, a joking manner, right? Yeah, jokingly, but then also, like, a serious manner with my case as well is that I've, you know, done both. I've joked about it, but also said it in a serious manner. And, you know, it's kids nowadays, yeah, they joke about it all the time. But when someone actually does it, everyone shuts up. Everyone is quiet. Everyone doesn't want to talk about it. Everyone just doesn't care to bring up about the awareness at least that's how it was back then yeah obviously now there's a lot more of um mental health advocacy and stuff yeah and you know to the listeners out there if you're ever struggling with your mental health there's plenty of resources that you know i advise you to go seek and i'm not a health professional but you know from someone who has struggled and who still is struggling with their depression and their mental health and who's been through the whole suicide attempted suicide like all those things i would say get the help take that first step for yourself because you don't need to do it for anyone else but yourself and you should always take care of yourself first and that includes your mental health so if you know that you're struggling and i know that with everyone's situation it's different maybe they don't have the resources maybe they don't have insurance maybe you know they're still a minor like I get it but there is some form of help in any way shape or form truly take the effort to go seek for it you know to put yourself in a better situation and you know like with me like I had to wait until I was 19 and I was you know physically in a position so that means moving out that means no longer depending on my dad. That means being financially stable. And that means having still being covered under our state's health insurance to get the help that I needed. No one asked me to. No one forced me to. I did it for myself because I knew that I had a problem as a, as a child. So I did that and I took that step and I don't regret it. And I know it's scary. You know, that's the thing that stops you from going to seek help is you're afraid to do it alone it's that know that you are not alone know that there are such thing as support groups that there are such thing as you know therapists psychiatrists people and even friends even friends yep yeah there there are people in this world that care about you yeah even if they don't really show it yeah you just have to reach out you know there's people that are going to be there to listen yep. maybe people give you advice it's just you got to take that first step and reach out yep exactly You know, I think we see that in our dad as well, because for him, like back when I told a story about how my mother, you know, was on me about wanting to commit suicide and all that stuff. And my my father was distant, was silent, and he didn't have anything to say. He took that and ran with it in the sense that he didn't bother to change until recently and he would always still say the same thing it's taboo like you know he's like oh, mm-hmm. don't talk about it you don't have mental health issues you're perfectly fine you you know grow up like you know tough love and that kind of thing like oh you just need to be happier like you just you know all those things like i mean what has he ever told you you know like, has he ever said anything in that situation? Well, I've never, like, really, I've never really been, like, mentally down or, like, depressed. Oh. 
so I never really like talked to him about it. But uh, something my my friend always said is like, um, how are people depressed? You know, just be happy. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's like a simple answer. Like you should just be happy, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just like there's so much more to that. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because you used to think the exact same. Thing. Right. I used to, I used to the exact same way. Um, just, I mean, just the way I was. I was just naturally very happy, and I still am. Yeah, but yeah, I, I used to think that why are why are you depressed? Why are you sad? Just be happier. Yep, and I think that that was one of the biggest reasons why you and I never got along is because right. you never saw it from my point of view. Because, and I'm sure I don't know if some part of you was disappointed or ashamed that you know I I have depression because you're so happy because you're my sibling so why if i'm your sibling why am i not happy like you like you know i'm sure you had all those questions and like you said you thought about it you you thought your mindset was why would anyone ever be depressed life is amazing life you know life is life you only get one life why you're why are you choosing to be depressed about it right. why are you choosing sadness but you know depression is such a severe thing with so many factors that it could range from the trauma that you've been through your life or just the physical chemical imbalance in your brain that you're just not getting the right you know chemicals that make you happy and it's a balance of those things that you know makes it so hard to give someone a you know concise and clear answer as to you know when someone asks why are you depressed why can't you just be happy, you know? With that being said, with how the society has majorly shifted into being much more proactive instead of reactive and, you know, being an advocate for mental health and making it less taboo and more accessible and more well-known, you know, that has definitely changed our father because our father now has been more open to mental health, has been more open to the fact that it is a real thing and that it should be taken care of. And for example, he lets our sister Gigi take mental health days off because if she's not feeling mentally well, he'll say, okay, you can take off school. Like, And he'll try and talk to her about it. And he's just trying to be the father that he knew that he was never and that he probably regrets being, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of person that he was. So it's nice to see that he's changing, you know, little by little. And with that being said, we're going to be wrapping it up. But with everything that we've talked about, I feel like the main things that I want to point out is that if you are struggling with depression, with life, with anxiety, with anything that you feel like you need help on, please go seek professional help. You know, it's very important. It's very important to take care of yourself because you will be missed. And if you don't take care of yourself, then you can't take care of the people that love you and that you love. And it's very important. Please go seek help. Please. It makes a big difference. And that there is some way, shape, or form. And you have to put the effort into going to seek that help and doing that for yourself. And with another thing is that, you know, 
I think that something as little as music brings people together all around the world from different backgrounds. And so with that said, there is a song that I would like to for people to listen to. And if it's the theme of this story in this episode, and it reminds me of my mother. And it reminds me of also the guilt and the feeling of helplessness and just wishing that I could do something. And that song is Before You Go by Louis Capaldi, which I'm sure plenty of people know who Louis Capaldi is. But that song is about his dead aunt. And I didn't realize that until I went to go see his concert. But that added a whole new meaning to what that song means to me. And I think it's a very special song that just encapsulates this episode and the feelings that I've had. And, you know, I think everyone should go listen to it. But yeah, with that said, what are your final thoughts, John? And what do you have to say for the audience? Well, I'll say this. There's a saying that I've adopted from a streamer I always watch, uh, Methods. He's a former Call of Duty pro, and he has his own clothing line, and it it pretty much is based off better days ahead, right? Mm -hmm. There are always going to be better days ahead, but if, you know, if you're not willing to move on and, uh, you know... Take that step forward. Take the step forward, you're never going to see those better days. Yep. So it's, it all comes down to accountability. all right. comes down to you. You have that power every single day, every single second mm-hmm. that you're alive to look forward to a better day because tomorrow is never guaranteed, right? Right. But it's the act of taking that step forward to that day, to a better day, that will make you have better days, will make you be happier, you know, because depressed people can be happy. Yep. Our mother was Everybody happy at happy. times. Yep, everyone has the ability to be happy just as much as they have the ability to be sad. Everyone has that power to choose how they feel and how they live their life. And we just hope that this podcast will inspire people to choose the better part of life and to choose happiness, to choose being loved, whether it's self-love or you know choosing better relationships for yourself. Just anything that makes you a, a happier and healthier and better person. We just hope that this podcast allows people to heal and to take that step forward to a better day. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you guys have a, a great weekend. And please like, share, and subscribe to the podcast and tune into our next episode. We're going to talk about a fresh new life about a mother and what challenges that brings, as well as Michelle and I beginning our individual journeys with the five stages of grief.